Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clothesline Retro, the podcast that takes you to yesteryears through the eyes of two simple Israeli wrestling fans. I'm your host, Owen Tradesman, and with me, as always, my partner for this amazing journey, Gordon. Gordon, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. It is quite the amazing journey indeed. And we are going through the, uh, our uh, third review at the moment. I have got no Hebrew copy of this specific event for some reason. I don't know, I've, I've, always, um, I've always skipped it when I watched it and it's, um, and it's Hebrew version. It was very, very late. I was, always, I was already aware of the, uh, of the results and it is, um, it's a good one. It's a good one. Shall we get to it? That's right. I concur. It is a good one. It is the first edition of the King of the Ring pay-per-view. The format did exist before that, only on uh, house shows and something like that. And it was an actual tournament. So they decided, what the hell? Let's just put it on pay-per-view. We only got four, so let's make it five. Let's do five pay-per-views a year. That's probably going to work. So yeah, so they decided on the King of the Ring concept. And by the way, when you were saying you don't have a copy, I actually do have a copy, which is some here. Oh, there it is. Ah, there you go. Well, because the original VHS by Collison Video. Our, our local video stores could depend on you much more than they could on me. But the thing is, let's let's be somewhat specific um, because, as you've mentioned, we've had um, no recognition of the uh, house show versions. Aside from, I believe, the, um, I think it was the first King of the Ring, there were some interviews taped for this one. I believe it was the uh, 1985 ones, during which the, um, the combatants, shall we say, state their opinions, who's going to win, I'm going to win, etc. It's uh, quite the rare find, uh, if you can get it. And if you can't, it's not much of a miss unless you're, you know, that avid collector. I think it's funny that it came, it took them a while to adapt this concept to pay-per-view because the concept of a king already existed before. I don't know if it was involved or was in, in, uh, in coherent with the King of the Ring tournament itself, but you had kings like Harley Race and Haku and Macho King Randy Savage and even Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a king. And those crowns were were won when one wrestler beat the other, but the crown was never like defended like a title. So then they came up with the King of the Ring concept. But th- are those two intertwined? Look, let's 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 just say let's say this. King of the Ring was uh, the uh, house show versions, as as we've um, as we've just mentioned. Holly Race had received the king gimmick as a result of winning this king of the ring tournament now it was defended as a title um between people like harley race haku uh hexa duggan randy savage however the funny thing is when savage won the tournament in i believe 1987 he didn't get any king gimmick because he was already a face he already he only won it later on. It's kind of a confusing stuff. Um, 
And of course, we are about to see um, if we're talking about it already. Former King of the Ring, Bret Hart, competing in his, shall we say, first ever, but yet second ever, King of the Ring tournament, this time only on pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, exactly like that. So that is exactly the truth of the matter is, uh, yes, that's that's exactly the truth. Bret Hart only won a concept of this tournament back in 91 in the house show circuit. And now he's coming into this pay-per-view trying to make it a two-peat, but basically it's a one-peat because it's the first time on pay-per-view. I don't know if this is back in the day, but uh, there is um, a uh, fan footage of the entire uh, 1991 tournament. I think actually, I think I actually I, saw I that. I probably have it somewhere. It was on YouTube, I believe. I don't think it's there anymore, but it's it's kind of tough to watch, not because of the uh, of the level of the superstars competing, but due to the quality, which is not exactly HD material. I think I actually saw that one. The finals was him against IRS, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it had an IRS versus Berserker bout for some reason. <laughs> really? It would, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very strange. Weird brackets. Anyways, so let's begin. Uh, the first pay-per-view concept uh, came about in Daytona Beach, Florida. If I'm not mistaken, Daytona Beach, the heartland of America, right? I believe so. Okay, so the heartland of America, and that was the birthplace of the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Our commentary team were Jim Ross, Bobby DeBrain Heenan, and Randy Macho Man Savage. And once again, Jim Ross carries the broadcast. I'm serious. He's the guy to listen to when you when you watch King of the Ring because he's just so goddamn good on the microphone. I'm just I'm just saying it right there. Uh, while I somewhat agree, I think Heenan's work was um, also quite well you know, backing him up. Savage being his usual weird self, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's what you've had to work with at the time. So yeah, so the tournament. Eight superstars overall, single elimination tournament, one night only. Uh, the first round or quarterfinals, whatever, whatever you want to prefer to it. Uh, the first round brought us Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. Bret Hart was the number one seed and didn't even need to qualify to this tournament. Yeah. As virtue as he just lost the World Wrestling Federation Championship. So they just said, okay, fine. You're going to be the first entry in the King of the Ring tournament just because. And yeah. while... Re- Sort of a uh, sort of a compensation, which always sounded quite like a lame excuse to me. Yeah, exactly. And uh, his opponent would be Razor Ramon, who did actually have to qualify when he defeated El Matador Tito Santana. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I preferred this match to uh, to their Rumble Clash earlier on in the year. It I feel that it it flows better. It doesn't last as long. And it's um, it's quite a good match, all in all. I completely agree. This match was ways better than the Rumble matchup. Maybe because of time constraint. Maybe it was the, because the action was more action-packed, more fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I did like this match even better than the Royal Rumble encounter. Uh, the finish was when Razor tried to do his maneuver when he put his opponent on top of the turnbuckle. And he does a backwards back suplex on the turnbuckle. Bret Hart twists in midair and falls on top of Razor, counter free, and Bret Hart wins. I think there is there is no need to say a backward back suplex because it's already the back is already included in the suplex. 
basically it's a, like a super yeah, backflex it's like a turnbuckle and brett reverses falls on top and uh gets the um gets the pinfall victory yep so he gets the pinfall victory a great matchup to start off the king of the ring and then we move on to the second matchup. Now, before the second match, we get a clip package of when Mr. Hughes, who did qualify to the next round of the King of the Ring when he defeated Kamala, uh, he was attacking The Undertaker. No, Giant Gonzalez was attacking The Undertaker. Mr. Hughes, who was an accomplice of the Giant Gonzalez because they were both managed by Harvey Whippleman, attacked The Undertaker with his urn, which was held by Paul Bear. And they continued to attack the Undertaker, and then he stole the urn from the Undertaker. So, from the Undertaker. So, when he shows up to this matchup, he has the Undertaker's urn as a trophy. That's right. And we were supposed to receive Mr. Hughes versus Undertaker here in Israel. Yeah. But by then, by the uh, time our first show came on, uh, late 1993, Hughes was already not a part of the company. And we had Adam Bob instead in a casket match. Which was a really nice thing to see here in Israel when you, when, 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 you know, when you actually saw the matches because uh, some of us didn't go to that show. Did, did we, Gordon? Right here. <laughs> yep. He went to the show. I didn't went to the show, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed it I overall. Didn't. I didn't. Oh, you didn't also? No. I thought you did. Well, no. no we, we both missed it. We should have been pen pals writing to each other. I can't believe I missed the show. We missed so, yeah. the one kid taking on Doink. Uh, so we missed it. So we had to see the Coliseum video version of Adam Bombers to take her without the casket match. But, you know, bummer for us. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Hughes qualified to the King of the Ring by defeating Kamala, his opponent. Mr. Perfect, who qualified but he's defeating Doink the Clown, but he took him three tries until he actually beat the, the Sidious Clown. I don't know if I want to watch Perfect versus Doink three times in a row. It's It, it feels like quite the styles clash to me. And I think, I, I don't know what they wanted to achieve by doing this. Because I feel like just once could have been enough. So yeah, once could but it could have been enough. But they said no, we're gonna prolong this story. No, no, they the had wants it. The kids want to watch Perfect versus Doink. The entire family wants to watch it. So, so, so yeah, the first match they had was a draw. The second match they had was a draw. Then they said, you know what? Forget about these two. We're gonna give two other guys a try. So they had Crush versus Shawn Michaels when Michaels lost the Intercontinental Championship briefly. So then they had a draw, and then when they came, oh, you know what? Let's go back to Perfect and Doink, and then Perfect finally beats Doink and qualifies to the tournament. It was absurd. It was very, very strange. Yep. I c- couldn't understand it. So Mr. Perfect taking on Mr. Hughes in a very, you could say one-sided affair, because I, for the most match, Mr. Hughes was in total control, as far as I could see. And mm. then Perfect made an L bit of a comeback. And then the ending came when Mr. Hughes hit Mr. Perfect with the urn and got disqualified. And that's it. Yeah. Apparently someone wanted to protect Hughes, uh, hence the finish. And it should be said to uh, Mr. Hughes' defense, he could move in the ring. He was the uh, agile, um, quite the agile wrestler. However, he wasn't the most interesting wrestler. He wasn't, you know, bad, 
but there was I don't know it seemed like um like um one trick pony to me, Mr. Hughes did, and you know he like he lost this match and then left and then came back on I believe the uh, 1997 Rumble and then left and then came back in 1999 and then left. I see a pattern here. I don't know what about you. Exactly. So. I don't know exactly what was what was going on with Mr. Hughes in those days or like any other day, but yeah, he, he looked menacing, but mm-hmm. that was it. It, it. it just had the look part, but he didn't it didn't offer much in advance because it was I don't know it was maybe one dimensional in the ring. I don't know how to exactly to elaborate on that, but basically, I, I believe um, he opened a school. Um, I believe somewhere in our. Current decade, I think he's still wrestling. Imagine that. That is a good trivia fact to know. So, though, but still. (laughs) Yeah. So, Mr. Perfect wins by disqualification. During the matchup, they interviewed Bret Hardy, who was appearing on on screen, and they asked him, Who do you prefer, Perfect or Mr. Hughes for the semifinals? And he said he preferred preferred Mr. Perfect for the endurance instead of Mr. Hughes and because he liked him better. That will play out a little bit later on in the show. The next matchup was Bam Bam Bigelow versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Bam Bam defeated Typhoon to qualify, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeated Papa Shango, if I'm not mistaken. You're not. All right. And this was pretty much a, this was a fun match. It was the shortest match of the tournament, I believe, but it was a fun match. Very basic. Hacksaw gets the early lead. Bam Bam comes in and then dominates most of the match. A returning comeback by the hero Hacksaw. Misses his finishing move. Bam Bam finishes him off. That's it. Well, you know, it's kind of um, it's the reasonable match. Yeah. Uh, quite typical to uh, the guys, both guys this kind of size. Now, I believe this is Duggan's only second pinfall pay-per-view loss, aside from WrestleMania 4. Really? I was in the company from, let me see, from about, shall we say, uh, 87, 88 to 1993. Yeah. And always, if he wasn't winning, he either got counted out or DQ'd or uh, any sort of a draw. Yeah, he wasn't losing via pinfall, not to mention submission. It wasn't an option. And this one is his last pay-per-view appearance until it comes back to form this tag team with Super Crazy in 2005 <laughs> for some odd reason. Yeah, that was weird. That was yeah. also weird. Well, yeah. wait, you're saying you know, there's only second loss on pay-per-view, right? Because he, I remember he had pinfall defeats by Yokozuna. Wasn't on pay-per-view. Yeah, you were saying it, so you mentioned it only on pay-per-view. It was only on pay-per-view. That oh. is astonishing. Like, someone wanted to protect Haksa Jin Duggan so much because he thought, this is it, this is going to be his year? He had someone's ear back in the locker room, and I'm sure being a friend of Hogan didn't hurt. Yeah, that, that, that always doesn't hurt. So, yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan lost to Bam Bam Bigelow. Then we move on to the last first-round matchup. was between the narcissist Lex Luger taking on Tatanka. Tatanka defeated the Giant Gonzalez by disqualification. The narcissist defeated Bob Backlund by count-out, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And this was a very interesting matchup because Tatanka was undefeated to that point for about a year and a half, almost two years, if I'm not mistaken. The Narcissist also undefeated since his debut in the World Wrestling Federation back in World Rumble 93. And you didn't know which way it was going to go, 
And the ending was it didn't go anywhere because this match was a 15-minute match on the dot, and it was a draw. It was a good match, but it was a draw. I cannot refer to this one as a good match. It really? was quite boring, and I, I didn't like it. It was like, look, it was it was Luger before his very major deterioration. Well, he was well, he was still able to pull put up a good match. Tatanka, uh, I believe I stand my opinion. He had this you know spark of uh, of charisma, but that that's not enough. I'm sorry. I agree. I completely agree. Uh, here's the thing about Tatanka. He was undefeated, and that was it. Like, he, he didn't do anything with the guy. We talked about it on our last podcast about WrestleMania 9 because if they had a chance to put a title on Tatanka, it would be WrestleMania 9, but they didn't pull the trigger. As for Luger, the minute he stopped being the narcissist and he moved on to be American-made, that's when the deterioration started. Because as the narcissist, I thought he was awesome. He had the gimmick. He had the look. He had a good, he, well, he had a good, he had good skills in the ring. And I really think that this persona could have brought him even further down the line. But that wasn't the case. But as for this matchup, I thought it started off good. But I do agree that the last five to six last minutes of the matchup were really, really boring. Because Tatanka made the comeback and then he didn't. So it just went on and on and on until time expired. And that was pretty much a bummer, a little bit of a bummer. I failed to see why you can't, instead of going the, the entire 15-minute route, why can't you go for the uh, double counter, double DQ um, finish and spare the crowd? There is no reason for them to go through this agony once again. I don't know. Maybe they want to utilize the fact that they did, ha they did have 15-minute time limits. And, you know, when the time limit expired, people didn't, didn't realize it first. And then they, then they heard it. Oh, the time limit expired. There's a time limit. <laughs> we did not know this fact. We did not know this. So, yeah, so there's a time limit. This one, the crowd had to experience the patience limits. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a time limit draw. And then Luger gets on the microphone and says, hey, I didn't come here to lose. I came here to be king of the ring, and I want five more minutes. The crowd is cheering. They're chanting. They want five more minutes. And then Luger decks Tatanka and knocks him out. That's it. Yeah, that overtime request works about in one case out of a million. Yeah. So I wouldn't bank on it to happen. What actually did happen that someone got uh, five extra minutes in the tournament match? I think it was um, one of the Saturday Night's main events, and it was Bigelow versus Hercules. And I believe they went to a double countout, and one of them stated, uh, I, don't, I don't want this match to end this way. And they restarted the match, and Bigelow won. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. No no sane person should remember this. <laughs> Amazing. I didn't even know that. All right. So those were the first round. Now, because of the time limit draw, Bam Bam Bigelow advances directly to the finals, mm -hmm. uh, which there he will meet the winner of the Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match. Now, because we saw it on television, but also I got the VHS cassette, I'm going to tell you about a couple of the tidbits that we had from Coliseum videos. Uh, for once, we had uh, Terry Taylor interviewing the Smoking Guns and the Steiner Brothers. That was that was just boring, really. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the little tidbits from Coliseum videos actually add something to the whole event, 
But in this case, it was really, really boring segments. I didn't really, didn't really, didn't really add anything. This one is subtracted instead of adding. Exactly. I also wrote down in my notes, Rick Steiner is speaking gibberish. I had no idea what, what happened. <laughs> I'm not sure Rick Steiner was ever, was ever taught proper English. <laughs> Could be. I think it's the a guy teacher. barked. The guy I barked for Lord's sake. I think he's a teacher now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's a teacher or he's... Um, he's a councilman, I know that, but I think he's a teacher. Of, of, of a teaching committee, something of a sort. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, you know, like, whenever they gather, remember this guy, he used to be uh, a wrestling bulldog? Yeah, he, he's with us now. Good job, people. <laughs> but he, he was a tough wrestler, I gotta, I gotta give him that. All right, so afterwards, we're moving on to the semifinal matchup. Before the semifinal match, they have an interview backstage with me and Gene, and he talks about the fact that Bret Hart said that he wants Mr. Perfect because of the endurance, and then Gene chimes in, chimes in and says, chimes in and says, uh, you didn't pick Perfect because he was an easier target, right? You, you think you could get past Mr. Perfect, and you couldn't get past Mr. Hughes, and so Bret Hart starts to mumble, no, no, I didn't, I didn't say that, and then, and then perfect, they start arguing, and then the, the the final nail in the coffin was Mean Gene talking about their fathers because Bret Hart's father is a wrestler, Stu Hart, and Mr. Perfect's father is also a wrestler, Larry the Axe Henning, and he questions if they ever face each other in the ring. And then Bret Hart says, "Yeah, sure, my dad beat your dad in the ring." And then Perfect goes, "He didn't beat my dad. My dad, your dad couldn't beat my dad <laughs> like any day of the week." And so Bret Hart makes his way to the ring, and Perfect says, I owe you for SummerSlam. Because if you remember your history lessons, Mr. Perfect lost the Intercontinental Championship to Bret Hart on about a year and a half ago at SummerSlam 91. So this is payback time. And Gordon, what did you think about this match? I don't think I've ever liked Okerlund. His job is not to stir up the pot. I'm sorry, that, that's, that's just yellow journalism right there. You should ask the, uh, the specific wrestlers what's their opinion about the uh, the opponent. D don't 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 exaggerate. I'm sorry. I gotta agree because it wasn't like him to do that kind of yeah, chimney in. Yeah, like... like of him. Yeah. And in addition, way to go for the uh, WWF to recall an event that happened two years away. It is. Um, my, it's not my belief. It, it's the way I've heard it that currently they can't remember what they were doing last week. <laughs> not to mention that, that is true. Away, that, that is. That's that's a whole different agenda right there. Yep, <laughs> I'm I'm a testimony. I'm a testimony to that. Yeah. So, what did you think about the matchup? Was this a better matchup than their encounter back in SummerSlam '91? I should admit, I for some reason. Their SummerSlam 1991 uh, matchup, while I'm sure it was decent, it never, I never could remember this one. It never, for some reason, it, it won't store itself in my memory. I don't know why, for some reason. However, this one is basically the match of the night. It has, it, 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 it's great, it includes a lot, and it's got the, um, the finish, the, uh, the small package, reversal into a small package, which 
to the best of my memory, very rarely works properly. And it worked here. And they've had the, um, I believe, the um, um, double countout possibility as a scenario. And I believe Savage says they could be double counting out both men. And this way, Bigelow wins the King of the Ring. That has to be the easiest route to the crown ever. <laughs> like, I've got to draw... Who, who? I'm sorry, whom did you pay off? <laughs> if, uh, that, if that were to happen, I would go ballistic back when I was uh, 10 years old when I saw it. would be the only one. <laughs> wouldn't be the only one. This one, I, I can't even, like, think about it, and I, and I appreciate Bigelow. But that would be insane booking at its worst yeah saying i totally agree because like you said this was the match of the night a perfect and bret hart giving us a technical spectacle uh and right there in the heartland of america and this match was awesome from start to finish and the finish itself when perfect faints a knee injury brett comes into the ring he puts him in a small package, if I'm not mistaken, and then Bret Hart reverses a small package to a small package of his own and wins the matchup afterwards. Perfect is, of course, upset, but he walks into the ring, shakes Bret Hart's hand like a man, and walks out afterwards in Coliseum video. Terry Terry interviews Mr. Perfect, and he congratulates Bret Hart. He says he's disappointed in himself, but what can he do? Bret Hart was the better man. Seriously, this was the match of the night. It was. I believe they clashed once more in about 1998 in one of the yeah. first WCW pay-per-view encounters. But that just wasn't the same because Perfect wasn't... Even at this current 1993 stage, uh, in his injured back phase, he wasn't as deteriorated as he would be in WCW. Yep. Not to mention his 2002 return to WWE. I agree. I actually saw that encounter back in the WCW. It was uncensored, and he had Ric Flair in his corner. It was a whole NWO shtick. And I remember Bret Hart putting him in the sharpshooter. Rick Root interfered, and then they stumped down on Bret Hart, which makes the match totally useless because you can't compare that to these classics of 91 and 93. So, yeah, I completely agree. Do you remember a DQ finish? I think it was an, I think it was either a submission win or recruit entered the ring and disqualified. Uh, I'm about 100% sure it was a submission finish. All right, so I guess I have to rewatch it and tell you and tell you exactly what happened. I remember it was I remember it was that recruit did attack Bret Hart while he was in the sharpshooter. So I don't remember if he actually tapped out and ring for the bell or did the referee ring for the bell because recruit interfered. That's why I don't remember that. Well, people don't have to remember, but people remembering WCW is, 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 a, is an absurd on its own. <laughs> Tell that to the guy that runs a podcast called 83 Weeks. So, yeah. Yep. So, no offense, Eric Bischoff, if you're watching this. We actually do uh, admire your work in WCW. I'm sorry to God. All right. So, the next matchup. Oh, here's a doozy. The World Wrestling Federation Championship match between Yokozuna taking on Hulk Hogan. Now, the story of the matchup, as you probably know from our previous podcast, if you, if you saw it, WrestleMania 9, Hulk Hogan defeats Yokozuna in a matter of 36 seconds or something like that. And Mr. Fuji's upset because it wasn't an official matchup. He stole the title, but Jack Tunney says it's official. Hogan is the champion. So a rematch is uh, introduced in this year's King of the Ring, the first edition. And this matchup, here's the thing. Hogan 
didn't appear in one single matchup until this pay-per-view. I don't know if, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't do any house shows before this matchup. He just did WrestleMania. He, he and... did nothing. Yeah. Nothing. He had, I believe, he had an interview in Japan in which he said this WWF title build is a toy in comparison trinket, to the yeah. thing. Why would you do that? Well, it's Hogan. So he probably thought no one was gonna watch it because it's Japan, but <laughs> sorry, Hulk. You know, back in back in those days there were tape traders. People saw the tape. People know exactly what's going on, Hogan. So yeah, he walks into this matchup against Yokozuna. The match starts with them playing the the real national anthem for Japan. The crowd boos. And if I'm not mistaken, oh sorry. Oh, my mistake, my mistake. I thought it happened in the King of the Ring, also happened in SummerSlam, my mistake. So yeah, Yokozuna walks into the ring, Hogan walks into the ring, the crowd's ecstatic, it's Hulkamania, baby, it's running wild. And it's a typical Hulk Hogan matchup, you know, he gets, he gets the beginning, Yokozuna gets the, the dominance through the matchup, and then he does the belly-to-belly -belly suplex, if I'm not mistaken, tries to pin Hogan. Hogan kicks, does a kick out that flungs Yokozuna five feet in the air, and he does the Hulk up. He tries to come back into this matchup. He does the free punches to the face. He does the big boot to the face. Yoko goes down. It's after the first try, of course. And then he puts the leg drop. One, two, and a kick out by Yokozuna. He kicks out of Hulk Hogan's finishing move. Then he, uh, some kind of a camera guy, a cameraman, walks on top of the apron, tries to take a photo or something. Jimmy Hart tries to stop him. He kicks Jimmy Hart. When Hogan tries to approach the cameraman, a fireball ensues because, you know, Hogan likes fireballs. And because of other matches, he did, he, did, he did the whole fireball gimmick. So he gets hit by a fireball. Yokozuna hits him, hit, hits his own finishing move, the leg drop, pins him. And Yokozuna is the, champ, is the champion once again. Afterward, he bonsai drops Hogan to take him out of the WWF up until 2002. I wish he would have splashed him harder this way, we wouldn't have to see him again in 2002. We'd have to wait at least until 2030. <laughs> now, let's talk about the photographer. The photographer is future WWF Women's Champion, Harvey Whippleman. Yep. And what's funny is that they never explained. Yep. Nowhere. Why was the cameraman on the apron? Was he in cahoots with Yokozuna? Nothing. It just happened to be there, and his camera exploded in Hogan's face, which is totally normal. Totally non, non, you know, non-obvious, and that was that was just that just what happened. So many accessories. It looked like a scarecrow. <laughs> it did look like a scarecrow. Seriously. Uh, so yeah, they wanted to take the belt off of Hogan because he backed out of his deal. Because the deal was, when, when you hear all the news that goes around, mm -hmm. that Hogan was supposed to retain here and face Bret Hart at SummerSlam. You know, as a passing of the torch. That didn't happen. He lost the title to Yokozuna, uh, trying to reestablish the monster that was Yokozuna up until that point. Mm -hmm. And Hogan leaves the World Wrestling Federation, not until he has a couple of uh, house show matches in Japan or somewhere against mm -hmm. Yokozuna, which he Germany. wins by DQ. Where? Germany as well. Germany as well. So, yeah, on the probably in the European circuit European or something circuit. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, Hogan does the honors, <laughs> you might say. By Look, losing the yoga? I, 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 sh I should say. You see this? 
I believe I could have uh, I couldn't have survived this match watching in this match if I wouldn't have downed at least two complete bottles so I won't fall asleep. This match is very, very tiresome and I, I don't like it. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. This matchup, it, it wasn't okay, but still, it was the Hogan match, the Hogan shenanigans. I'm not, I'm not much of a fan of the Hogan shenanigans, shenanigans back in the day. Um, but at least Yokozuna, once again, World Wrestling Federation champion. Afterwards, we get an interview for our next matchup. It was between Shawn Michaels taking on Crush for the Intercontinental Championship. Michaels just recently regained that Intercontinental Championship in a house show in Albany, New York. When he debuted his bodyguard, the monstrous Diesel, which gets his name, which he gets, gives his name in in this interview, Ming Jean asks him who exactly is this big guy, and he says, "This is Diesel, the thing that makes Mack trucks go, and this thing is a Mack trucks, and he'll run you over all the way." Now, here's the thing: you're calling him by the name of the fuel. I mean, it's a cool name, but it's still a fuel. Why not call him like something like a Mack truck or a Mack or something? Why is that a why is that wrong to call him Diesel and you can't call uh, one of the Autobots Octan? Why is that right and that won't? Why, why would that work? And you, you're, you're saying you're saying it made him go. Well, it made Oakland go to WCW about I don't know. I think that's his last pay per view up till his uh, WrestleMania 17, I believe. Here's the thing, because the Diesel name is a good name. It's a menacing name. I love the name. But the minute Michaels explains. Where the name originates from, it just like you lost me. You lost me. You had you had me a diesel, and then you explain what exactly is a diesel. The thing that which make a Mack truck go, and this thing is a Mack truck. It was it was just it just, it just felt it just felt flat. Look, you've got you've got your um, truck driver in WCW. They call him Uncle Fred, <laughs> and that made him go as well and return in 1994. But we're getting off topic here. Um, uh, yeah, one thing before this interview is over, uh, Michaels said to Mean Gene, Hulk Hogan, do you fear, Mean Gene asked Michaels, do you fear lightning's going to strike twice with you losing your title? And Michaels says, I would think we could pretty much uh, agree that Hulk Hogan is not in the caliber of Shawn Michaels. And brother, you have no idea how right you are. They plant the seeds 12 years in the future to their future clash. Yep. And look, I should say, this match versus um, Brian Adams Crush, it's it's not a bad match. Yeah. Crush was um, what's the proper term? Carryable. And when when he wasn't, you know, uh, uh, lousing up the joint, he was quite carryable. Well, versus the, the top workers of the age, versus Brett, versus Michaels. Um, even his uh, WrestleMania 10 match versus Randy Savage wasn't as bad as you'd expect. Face Crush was okay. Heel Crush, Heel Crush was uh, decent. Yeah. Chronic Crush was sent to OBW. <laughs> hey, what about Demolition Crush? Demolition Crush was um. Passable. Right. I'll give it that. So, yeah, the match was actually, like Gordon said, the match was decent. A decent matchup between Crush and Shawn Michaels. Michaels, of course, using his bodyguard for leverage and, of course, uh, shenanigans. 
The ending came when Crush was about to win the match when not one, but two doinks appear from their previous feud in WrestleMania. This is far from over, folks. And they came to ringside with a cigar and they smoked it and they laughed at Crush. He got distracted. Michaels hit a super kick on the back of Crush's head. He hits his head on the turnbuckle, falls down. Michaels covers him and he retains the Intercontinental Championship. Afterwards, Crush runs after the doinks. And that was the end of that feud. Yeah, I, I'm actually very surprised it went on this far. I thought we'd wrap this up on WrestleMania, and now you're saying that it, it still goes on. Now, was it just me, or did Michael try? Um, did he attempt to cradle crush after um, he uh, he was nailed with a turnbuckle? I think so. I'm not really. I'm not really, Don't really remember that particular moment, but I think you're right. I think he tried to cradle him, and then he couldn't do it, so just he just pinned him regularly. Let's go for a standard pinfall. You got to chase the clown there, buddy. We, we got no time for this. You're right about that. So, yeah, it was a decent matchup. I thought it was a decent mm-hmm. matchup overall. <laughs> Let's say a way better matchup than the Hogan-Yoko one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, afterwards, we get to our last before least matchup. It was an eight-man tag between the Steiner brothers and the Smoking Guns taking on Money Incorporated and the head shrinkers and if i'm not mistaken the tag team champions at the time were money incorporated now we talked about this before on hebrew podcast but i think we can bring this uh this point here as well the thing about the feud between money incorporated and the steiner brothers is that the title changed hands like three four times one two three times Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the thing is we never saw a title change on television it only happened on house shows we have no idea why perhaps someone thought having the steiners win and lose the titles it's too much for our average tv audience too much of a shock we gotta save this for the house shows where the uh the crowd is milder shall we say and wouldn't faint at the very sight of a, of a title change. I, I, I can't understand. I, I think 1993 and 1994 were kind of plagued with house show title changes. You had the kid and Janetti. Uh, uh, oh, you had Janetti for the Intercontinental title. You had the tag titles twice again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, and uh, you had the, uh, in 1995, the uh, Ramon Jarrett title changes. Yep. Someone the head drinkers and uh, Michaels and Diesel in 94 August before SummerSlam, yeah. That can be mentioned only if it really happened. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but if we, when we get to the point we talk about SummerSlam 94, we will elaborate on that point. Just the same as the uh, LOD title loss. Yeah. Which can't guarantee if it really happened. We got no one to ask at the moment. Anyhow... Um, as we said, good match, um, but, but really, get this crush doing thing over with. We, we got it. We understand the pun. It, 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 it wasn't even nice as it went on. So please, bear with us. <laughs> it's a pretty, I don't know, it's an okay eight-man tag. The ending came when DiBiase had the Million Dollar Dream, one of the smoking guns. I think it was Billy. Was. And, you know, he had him in the Million Dollar Dream. You just need him to tap out and just ring for the belt. No, he releases him. 
and he just and Jenny just taunts up. That's over. It's over, man. He lifts him up, and then Billy rolls him up for a small package, and he wins. And this is this is Ted DiBiase. This is the guy who was the main villain during the '80s and '90s. You don't supposed to do these kind of stupid things, like like in Royal uh, Rumble '92 when he got eliminated, the first guy eliminated by the British Bulldog. This is the main villain of the '90s and '80s, early and '90s. That is also, you know, I I um, I had to explain this very thing, and on the uh, Hebrew coverage I've done on this show, DiBiase is, I, I think there's no argument. He's a great heel. As all heels, or as most heels should do, he is also a very arrogant heel. So, according to his thinking pattern, he believes he hooked the dream on. No one gets out of this unless you're Hogan and you're hulking up and uh, etc. But if no one gets out of it, so this Billy Gunn youngster is is, is dead in the water. He can't accomplish anything. And that is why the small package works. And I believe, I can't recall if it's true or not, I think Rick Steiner wasn't even tagged in. I think you're right. I think he wasn't tagged in. I wonder why. <laughs> Either time shortage or injury, probably. Guessing, But, um, I'll, take, I'll take a guess, a wild guess for the time shortage phase, because this match was like, I don't know, maybe four minutes, five minutes tops? Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a short bout for uh, for like eight people. We also I wrote in my notes that uh, Jim Ross was apparently notorious for breaking kayfabe because he talks about IRS and the fact that he was <laughs> a four-time champion with three different partners. First of all, there are two facts in that statement that are not in, that are not correct at all. Number one, he did not have three champion partners; he had two. By that time, it was DiBiase and it was Barry Windham. He was number number two. He wasn't a four-time champion, if I'm not mistaken. This is the first. No, oh, okay, he was a four-time champion, but not with three different partners. I'm just saying. Ross had his federations mixed up because he recalled Rotundo from the NWA and the Varsity Club days. Oh yeah, the which he held the tag team titles with. Uh, Dr. Death. So there you go. <laughs> That's why he got confused. Also, yeah. but is someone, it, like apparently, someone apparently just didn't tell him. You you don't mention. You don't count the other organizations, Jim. Best accomplishments are forbidden. Don't do it. <laughs> And maybe that's why we've had such a long break from uh, Ross. Yeah, He's probably. Violating this rule. And he got banished to Radio WWF. I'll never forget that. <laughs> which is where old folks die apparently <laughs> <laughs> exactly so that was that and then we moved on to the uh the finale that's right the finals of the king of the ring bam bam bigelow versus brett the hitman hard the match is a one hour time limit draw we didn't get to one hour live but just to give you the heads up but this was a very 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 good match in my opinion uh it started off strong of course it was power against the quickness it was the power of bam bam bigelow against the quickness of bret hart and the determination that he showed throughout the night uh it was a point in the matchup where bam bam attacks bret hart on the outside he rolls back into the ring starts to argue with the referee on that point luna vashon who wasn't even uh associated with bam bam until that point maybe a little bit before that 
Uh, she attacks Bret Hart with a chair. Bam Bam drags Bret Hart into the ring, does his finishing move, pins him, and wins the match. And the crowd is just, it just, it just astonished. He's shocked. He sees that Bret Hart got screwed. But then good old Earl Hebner <laughs> goes into the ring doing business for himself, talks to the ring announcer, talks to the referee. Apparently, Earl Hebner is the general manager in those days because, you know, he does whatever he wants. And he talks to Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner gets on the microphone and says, ladies and gentlemen, the referee has reversed the decision. And then Earl Hebner just loses it. He loses it. He goes, what are you doing? No, I didn't say that. I said restart it. Restart, not reverse it. And then You're not listening. Pay attention. It's not such a hard job. Exactly. And then Howard Finkel says, "I, my apologies. I stand corrected. This match will continue. Yeah, because they'll sign the same. Anyways, so the match continues. And then in a in a classic Rocky Balboa story, the ultimate comeback, Bret Hart does the ultimate comeback into this matchup. And he also goes, there's a point in the match that he tries to perform the sharpshooter on Bam Bam Bigelow, and he, and he fails. But before, while he tries to apply the sharpshooter, Jim Ross says, I don't know if he can do it. Jim Ross, you called him doing a sharpshooter on Yokozuna, and now you question if he can do a sharpshooter on Bam Bam Bigelow? You want me to rationalize this one? Go ahead. He wasn't as weak as he was in this finals of a tournament. He was stronger in the match versus Yokozuna. It was only a singles bout. It wasn't a singles bout followed by a singles bout followed by a singles bout. See? I object, and I'll tell you why. Because, before, because before the match with Bret Hart, and sorry, before the match with Yokozuna at WrestleMania 9, he wasn't at 100%. He was squashed by Yokozuna in the buildup. He was attacked by the narcissist earlier in the day. He wasn't 100% walking into that matchup, but he still was able to do the sharpshooter on Yokozuna, even while he got his uh, face squashed with that leg drop. So you want to tell me this is not the same situation? Yes, my friend. I see and raise you. These uh, incidents you've mentioned weren't matches. <laughs> I was talking matches. All right, I'll give you that one. Thank you. <laughs> I'll give you that one. So the ending came when Bret Hart goes into the turnbuckle. He gets thrown by Bam Bam. He lifts his legs up. Bam Bam turns around. Bret Hart climbs up the top rope, climbs on top of Bam Bam Bigelow, does a victory roll, three count, and it's over. Bret Hart wins the first ever pay-per-view King of the Ring 1993. After the matchup, Randy Savage runs to the ring, hugs Bret Hart like a madman, looks like a crazed fan, and he congratulates him. The crowd is ecstatic. This is the perfect ending for this pay-per-view, for this majestic moment when Bret Hart wins the King of the Ring pay-per-view. He walks into the coronation uh, setting. He wears the robe. He gets the, uh, what do you call it? Um, scepter? scepter? No, not Scepter. What? Scepter, Scepter. Yeah, scepter. Crown, he, scepter. he grabs the Scepter. My apologies. Yeah. And then he gets the crown up. And then Jim Mean Gene proclaims, I proclaim ye, Bret the Hitman Hart, the King of the Ring. How do you feel? And then they ruined it. They ruined it because Jerry the King Lawler walks in and he says, listen, I didn't agree to this. I, when they told me I'm the king, they told me I would be the only king of the World Wrestling Federation. When the hell did this came up with? I don't know who came up with this concept of, turn, of this uh, King of the Ring tournament, but I object. And this is preposterous. And Brett, 
I might allow you to become a prince if you kiss my feet. Bret Hart, of course, confronts him and he calls him the, he coined the term Burger King to Jerry Lawler. And then Jerry Lawler attacks Bret Hart with the scepter and with a chair. And I think he really broke his back with that chair. He threw it with full, full force on top of Bret Hart's back. And I was really scared for that one. And he just demolishes Bret Hart. And that's the ending of the pay-per-view, you monsters. Look, it's, it's a lot to go through. Go ahead. First of all, Randy Savage cannot be considered a crazed fan. He's a crazed man at best. <laughs> all right. Now, um, let's talk about the finals. Brett and Bigel had a good to very good match. But right. I think this reversal, this dusty finish thing wasn't as necessary. I feel it was, you had to involve Luna in some way, I don't know, it, it's quite the uh, direct way, and, and, and I don't think it's it serves its purpose. I get Do you it. Think? I, I get it. I get that Brett is tired, worn out, exhausted, etc. However, someone decided to overemphasize this entire matter by by getting this um, this finish reversed. Uh, what else? I Do you had, feel oh. that this adding of Luna Vashon, did it add or subtract subtract uh, from the match? I feel it subtracted from an already um, packed up evening. Right. As I've stated, we, 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 get, we get it. Bret Hart is not as fresh as he was at the beginning of this evening. Okay, we got it. Don't, don't shove it down our throats, please. Now, uh, the, um, the coronation. I have no idea why wouldn't they postpone it to, I don't know, uh, to the next draw. Why end the pay-per-view with a sour note with the audience finally getting what they want? Brett on top. Sure, he's not the champion, but it, it, it's... I believe quite the uh, the memorable spot he's in. But why would you do that? And why is Burger King an insult? It is a, it is a pretty decent burger. I'm just saying. Yeah, but it, 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 it's it's just weird. I don't know. That, that that that's all I've got. First off, I agree with you because when you look at the whole Bret Hart match against Bigelow. He had three matches. Bam Bam had one match thus far. He rested over an hour before this match. He had one match and an interview. And an interview, you're right. He had an interview before this matchup. So, and then you wanted to add more to that by, by having Luna attack Bret Hart. That makes Bam Bam Bigelow the most incompetent wrestler with all these advantages and he still couldn't win. I suggest you wait for about, I don't know, a year and a half. Then we'll get back on Bigelow. You're right. So that's about Bam Bam. As for the coronation, I agree. I thought, you know, we talked about it, that it was WWF's tradition to finish the pay-per-view on a good note where the hero wins. And in this pay-per-view, not only did you have Hulk Hogan lose the championship, you know, people loved Hogan, I'll accept that. And... You had even the guy that cosplays as Hogan on the front row, and he was depressed, and he was sad because Hogan lost the championship. So you didn't give him that. At least give him Bret Hart finishing the night on a good note 
by him winning the King of the Ring. You had him, you had him <laughs> winning the King of the Ring, and then you do the whole Jerry Lawler shtick, and he couldn't wait for that to do to happen on Raw. It had to happen that right after the pay per view. In addition just... to any Hart family member fans, they've also had Papa Shango defeating Owen at the yeah. free fall. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. For the USWA title, why would you do that? It's 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 a sort of a mild night for the Hearts. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. But the dark match for this event was for the USWA Championship when Owen Hart defended that title against Papa Shango in a uh, working uh, uh, terms the relationship I between believe, USWA I and believe WWE. Papa, Papa Shango was the champion, not Owen. Yeah, he was the champion. I believe so. All right, so he retained, actually. Yeah, Shango retained. Which is even more of a bummer, because he wasn't even the champion going in. Everyone was a champion in USWA. From from Papa Shango to, to, to Tatanka to Jerry Lawler to, I don't know, the Moondogs. I, I, don't, I don't know what is going on in there. So, yeah, that was King of the Ring 1993. And now, as always, we'll give him our score. Gordon, what is your score? One till ten. And there's even a zero. This show was a complete catastrophe. Which it wasn't. It wasn't. I believe the, um, the proper results, proper scoring, I should say, would be seven. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, folks. I have never heard Golden give a seven to a pay-per-view. I swear to I swear to God, he never gave a seven. This is the highest score he has ever given, as far as I know him. But this show deserves it. Because, sure, it had uh, negative stuff, but mostly it was positive. It had a good build-up, told a good story despite its flaws and seven it is here's the thing before i give my score here's my here's my train of thought because this story is this event actually tells a big story with bret hart about him showing us three different matches in one night each match is very different than the other and it tells the overall story how bret hart overcomes any obstacle and he is a triumphant hero and he becomes king of the ring. This is an amazing story and an amazing show to showcase that story for Bret Hart. As for the other matches, they were they were okay. They weren't bad. Like they were okay, but nothing that I might remember like farther down the line. If I wasn't reviewing this pay-per-view, I probably wouldn't even remember remember the whole I, I think we should mention Bret states in his book, I was asked not to win any match with the sharpshooter. Therefore, the, uh, the the pinfall wins. So yeah, which also adds to the mystique of the King of the Ring because he didn't win with finishing move, which is which is amazing. Shows yeah. the versatility of Bret Hart as a technical wrestler, which is even even makes this thing a whole lot bigger for him. I will give this event an eight out of ten, but I'll decrease. Uh, I'll subtract uh, half a point because of the whole Jerry Lawler stick because I really hated that. Seven and a half for me because if this show would have ended with Bret Hart just being king of the ring and all, and then do the whole angle with Jerry Lawler the following night on Monday Night Raw or whenever you know I find it was a Saturday, I don't remember exactly the 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 right day. If they would have just finished it with Bret Hart becoming king of the ring, this event would be a whole lot better. But 
when you do the angle with Jerry Lauder, you leave this pay-per-view with a bitter taste in your mouth because you had your your world champion, your main hero, if you say, Hulk Hogan losing. And then you have Bret Hart winning this tournament only to get attacked viciously by Jerry Lawler. It just leaves you with a bitter taste in your mouth. And back in those days, you want to leave a pay-per-view a little bit more happier, a little bit more on a good note. So for me, uh, it's a seven and a half out of ten. How are you subtracting a half a point for Lawler's involvement at the end of it, but nothing for Hogan and Yokozuna, which was quite dreadful? Because I enjoyed the fact that Hogan actually lost the title to Yokozuna, even with through the shenanigans. Still, it's it, it just, just, just the same to me. We just well, went full circle. But, yeah, but that's why, that's why it's seven and a half and not eight and a half, because I already took down two and a half points because of Yokozuna and, uh, and uh, that, and uh, okay. Hogan. Okay. If the match was any better, like with anyone else, it would probably get an eight, uh, eight out of ten or eight and a half. But it was Hogan and Yokozuna in a match that even shouldn't, that shouldn't even even have happened. So yeah, at least Yokozuna won, so I'll give him that. But still, for me, it's a seven and a half out of ten. You gave it a seven. I give the entire evening a seven. Not this match. If this match was uh, was the the uh, the affair on hand, I gave it a minus seventy. I said the whole story overall was the Bret Hart story, but it had also the addition of the other matches, the championship matches and the eight-man tag. So overall, I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. Very well. And that was our review for King of the Ring 1993. Coming up sometime in the near future, we will review the next pay-per-view, which is SummerSlam 1993. And yeah, it is, it is quite a pay-per-view. If I give you the heads up. Oh, I tend to agree. <laughs> so that is our review. And if you want to stay notified when I'm uploading these videos, hit a like, subscribe to the channel, hit that bell notification button. We truly appreciate you watching and subscribing. And we'll hopefully bring you more content in English in the near future.